So, John Mayer, when you were in high school with Gary Sinise and Jeff Perry, two of the founding members of Steppenwolf Theater, did you say to yourself, you know what? These guys are amazing. They're going to found an internationally renowned theater company. I better stick with them so I can write a book about it years later. Was that sort of the plan? That was exactly the plan, Austin, of course. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever it is, wherever you are. I'm Austin Titchener, one-third of the Reduced Shakespeare Company, and you're listening to this week's Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast, now in its 15th year, number 770, The Steppenwolf Story. Chicago Steppenwolf Theater was founded by Gary Sinise, Jeff Perry, and Terry Kinney, who put shows on in high school under that name. Soon, Steppenwolf moved into a church basement, then a larger venue in downtown Chicago, then into their own theater, then on to productions in New York, Los Angeles, and London, then into their own building on Halstead, which even now, during this pandemic, the company has continued to enlarge. Author and theater professor John Mayer went to high school with Gary Sinise and Jeff Perry and has written Steppenwolf Theater Company of Chicago in their own words, an incredibly valuable history that features interviews with many of the folks who helped create and build the theater along the way. Steppenwolf has given us folks like John Malkovich, Laurie Metcalf, John Mahoney, Joan Allen, Tracy Letts, and Carrie Coon. And John Mayer began our conversation by talking about the founding members, Gary Sinise and Jeff Perry, who he went to high school with. I did think they were amazing. Yeah. They were they were my idols and they were my friends. But, but you know, how you have some friends that you idolize and you just kind of follow them because they're so determined and so magical and so powerful and and magnetic and compelling and you want to kind of want to be a part of that yeah, i mean yeah. obviously i didn't see what the future held sure. for them but it doesn't surprise me in the least bit yeah. that they are where they are today and they've achieved what they have and and we were extraordinarily privileged to go to a high school that valued the arts probably more so than athletics yeah and we had a drama teacher who was um, an equity actress who was continuing to work as an actress who was as passionate a teacher as I've ever had uh, and to this day shapes my opinions about what I do yeah. I mean I absolutely would not be where I am without her Gary and Jeff would echo the same thing they wow. would without hesitation say without Barbara Greener as we knew her Barbara Greener Patterson later on uh they they would not have done what they did. Yeah, that's amazing. There's all we all have that teacher we can point to. Um, so uh, b- before we go further, tell me a little bit about yourself and your background. When you're not an amazingly successful singer songwriter, guitarist, um, you're an educator. What, what it were true? <laughs> what it were true? You're an edu- you're an educator, actor, educator. Um, yeah, you know, I'd like to think I'm still a, an actor and a director. I, do, I mean, I do, I've directed a production probably, I've been in higher education for 29 years. Wow. I've probably directed at least one production a year, sometimes two or three. Right. Um, and I've continued to work as an actor, although uh, as my ability to memorize has faded i have kind of stuck to staged readings and that kind of thing you know so um yeah 
And, and some of your directing credits include, I think, that that hoary old chestnut, The Complete Works of William Shakespeare Bridge. Am I right? I have not directed that, oh. but I have been in it twice. <laughs> I, uh, I you cannot swing a dead educator without hitting somebody who's been in. I uh, did it at the Snowy Range Theater in Laramie, Wyoming one summer. Yeah. And then I also did it at the Merced Playhouse in Merced, California. And and had a great time both times, and uh, you know, so much fun to do that show. Were you the pedant professor, my role, the um, uh, enforcer, Reed's role, or the idiot savant, Adam's role? I was the I was Reed's role. I was the old guys, <laughs> always. You know, serious. Yeah. I, I just had to play the old guys, and that was probably. 10 years, 15 years ago that I did it. So yeah. I was the old guy 10 or 15 years ago, which is which is a sad statement. Congratulations. <laughs> um, what was the impetus to write the book? Was it an extension of your, your teaching work? I was working at Mike Ditka's restaurant in Chicago as a waiter. And uh, I had gotten my MFA in acting at Western Illinois University kind of late on in my life. It took me 10 years to get my undergraduate degree, so and a very non-traditional pathway. <laughs> and I was working at Mike Ditka's. I opened that restaurant. It was very successful. I was, I'm was i a Chicago sports fanatic. So I, was, I shook Muhammad Ali's hand, waited on sports idols. And one night, shortly after my dad died, I had an epiphany. And the epiphany was, uh, I got to go back to school. I'm going to go get a doctorate, oh. which is not where my path, anybody you would have asked in my high school days would have thought. Wow. And I went back to the University of Missouri, and I knew from the moment I got there that my my research would be on Steppenwolf Theater, and I would do a dissertation on Steppenwolf. And a lot of people going to doctorate programs, they don't know what they're going to write about. I knew from the moment I got there that I wanted to chronicle their history because they were unbelievable, their story. Yeah. yeah. And so my dissertation was a an early history of Steppenwolf. And I had that. And the idea was, I'm going to turn this into a book. I'm going to turn this into a book. I graduated from, from uh, my doctorate in 1993. <laughs> this wasn't published till 2016. Right. So it only took me 23 years. <laughs> um, and the, my dissertation accounts for maybe the first chapter of the book. Yeah. And right. then the rest, uh, it was all new and... Uh, Got to interview, I don't know, 50, 60 people associated with the company, most all of the company members, many of whom I had had longtime personal relationships with. So it just seemed like a very natural fit. Uh, two people they were looking at to write a book. I reached out to Martha Lavy, the artistic director. It was me and the guy who wrote obituaries for the New York Times. <laughs> and he he was all about wanting to sell, you know, have it be a sellable book and have it be commercial. And I just wanted to tell the story. And mm -hmm. uh, Steppenwolf was really supportive to me, and he kind of fell by the wayside. Mm. And you know, to my knowledge, my book's the only book about Steppenwolf. Mark Larson's wonderful book about Chicago theater ensemble has a nice portion of it to Steppenwolf. Yeah. But, but my book's kind of that book. I'm fascinated by, uh, the, well, the book itself, which I want to get to, but uh, now you've intrigued me. What, what do you think made you decide that you wanted to get your doctorate? Did you, did, did the, I got to write a book, I'll get a doctorate to do it. Or it was the other way around. No, I, I knew that my purpose was not to be a waiter for the rest of my life yeah. and that I was meant to teach. Nice. And inspired by our high school teacher, you know, I, yeah. that was my, that was what I was supposed to do. Yeah. It was, doors weren't really opening for me with my MFA. As I like to joke, uh, when I got my MFA, it just meant I could work at nicer restaurants. <laughs> 
so I, I kind of said I'm going to get a Ph.D., which I did. I had two job offers out of uh, getting my Ph.D. One was at a small college in Texas, Tom Ball College, outside of Houston, a two-year college. And the other was at the University of Papua New Guinea. Ooh. And they, they didn't even interview me. They just sent me a contract. And it was a little telling that the contract said, if you stay for 18 months, you get a half-year salary bonus. If you stay for three years, you get a full-year salary bonus. And, it wow. was, and then I did a little research, and I found that cannibalism was still happening in <laughs> Papua New Guinea. And I was like, well, I guess I'm going to go to Tomball College and teach speech. Uh-huh. You know, and I, taught, I started a theater program from scratch there. I had a $500 budget my first year. And when I left there to move to California in my present position, they were breaking ground on a $1.2 million theater that my wife and I had worked with architects to design. Well, surely, and I know your name's not Shirley, but surely you, uh, your connection to the founders of Seppenwolf, being back there at the very beginning, because it, really it really did have high school roots. It started in my high school. I, I mean, it started at Highland Park High School. There were three shows that were done at Highland Park High School, um, uh, two at Highland Park High School. One was out at the Unitarian Church in, uh, like, Deerfield or Bannockburn or wherever it is, and uh, I was in Greece. We got a hold of the original Broadway script. The, the musical, not the country. The, 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 <laughs> yes, yes, the musical, not the country. Uh, somebody got a hold of the original script pre-Broadway. I said Broadway, but that's yeah. not correct. Yeah. This was before it even made it to Broadway, I think. Well, and I'm, sure, I'm not sure a lot of people know that Grease was done very first time. It originated here in Chicago. At, yeah, at the yeah. Kingston Mines Theater. And, yeah, uh, yeah. Um, and uh, Gary Sinise got a hold of the script, and we took it down to one of our father's offices, and we ran copies totally yeah. illegally. Yeah. And Gary put the show together, and uh, we did it nine performances at Indian Trail Grammar School Gymnasium mm. uh, to turn away audiences, no advertising. And Gary would move around with a hubcap at, uh, at intermission to secure funds yeah. to help underwrite the yeah. show. And that was kind of the the energy that started Steppenwolf. That hustler energy is key to starting a, 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 an organization, well, any organization. Yeah, right. And uh, then shortly thereafter, Steppenwolf got a um, space in the basement of Immaculate Conception Church in Island Park. They got a hold of some old seats, uh, and they had a little 88-seat theater down in the basement in a community that embraced what they were trying yeah. to do. And they, at that time, had no idea what was going to happen. I mean, you're talking John Malkovich, Lori Metcalf, Jeff Perry, Gary Sinise. Um, you know, they had no idea what was going to happen. Right. And, and, and a few other uh, members as well who aren't necessarily as recognizable but equally talented sure. um, and they just started doing shows and finding shows that they had parts in they wanted to do and Richard Christensen who was a uh, critic in Chicago a significantly impactful critic in Chicago theater uh, made the journey out to see what they were doing and wrote him a great review and that got him on the map and yeah. One thing led to another. They ended up doing a few shows in Chicago at St. Nicholas yeah. Theater, which was big at the time. And uh, and they decided to move in the city, and they found a space in the uh, old Hull House mm-hmm. space at the corner of Broadway and Belmont and started chipping away, struggling every step of the way. They were on the edge of bankruptcy every moment they tried to get going.
Hi, I'm Mark Larson, the author of Ensemble in Oral History of Chicago Theater, and you're listening to the Reduce Shakespeare Company podcast. Where can you RSC the RSC? We're still the remote Shakespeare Company until this November of 2021, and you can find our next round of performance dates at our website, reducedshakespeare.com. You can check our Facebook and Twitter feeds for the latest information, but as always, the very best way to stay up to date about all of our worldwide performance dates is to sign up for the Reduced Reader, our email newsletter. Go to ReducedShakespeare.com and click on the link to subscribe and check out our touring page for specific box office, venue, and ticket information. Now back to my conversation with author and theater professor John Mayer talking about his book, Steppenwolf Theater Company of Chicago, in their own words. Reading the book, it's it's like reading about the history of Second City. So many familiar names have come out of Steppenwolf. So many recognizable names. So much amazing um, talent in 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 ways that where Second City kind of defined American comedy in the last half of 20th, 20th century. The actors coming out of Steppenwolf redefined American acting a little bit, and 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 continue to do so. I mean, Laurie Metcalf can just do no continues to do no wrong everywhere. How many Tony nominations does she have? I mean, every she she's. She's the best actress I have ever seen on stage, bar none. Yeah. Um, yeah, and if in Jeff Perry's forward, he harkens back to the Compass Players and the yeah. Second City as being defining influences in that ethos of what really made Steppenwolf, which is ensemble performance, yeah. group performance. Um, in John, fact, they, sh- they, share, they share Sheldon Patinkin, who was a mentor to the early founders of Steppenwolf. Yeah. Right, yeah. He, they brought him in to run some games, Viola Spolin improvisational yeah. games, to kind of help the uh, group gel when they added some new members a couple of years into their, yeah. um, their development. And they had had this original core group of seven, and then they brought in, you know, I forget, another five, six people, and Sheldon mm-hmm. came in to help the group assimilate. And yeah, that's, yeah, really interesting. The, the, I mean, the book is also filled with the, you know, uh, unfortunate, but I guess inevitable uh, uh, tension between art and commerce, you know, between uh, success and change, and should we stay the way we are, should we grow bigger, should we do that? And, I mean, it's an interesting interesting time to read this book now because it's going Steppenwolf is going through another change now. How do you see what's happening at Steppenwolf now with its with its brand new building after having a brand new building only what feels like a couple of years ago? Um, how that how that seems now based on the history as you've uh, sort of lived and written about it. Well, it's 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 a more challenging question than you asked before. Did I ever see them Starting a theater that would they'd become nationally recognized? Did I? Did they ever see the fact that this theater would live beyond them, which yeah. it's already doing? I mean, yeah, it's right. very rare that original ensemble members come back and do shows anymore. I mean, Francis Guinan comes back and works. Yeah. Al Wilder come back comes back and works sometimes. But I mean, these are all new people, and yeah. they have a new vision going forward about you know hearing different new voices, diverse voices yeah. that really wasn't part of what originated the theater. Not, It just was the reality of the times we were living in. Yeah. And I mean, they are they just built a new facility. I mean, if you look back uh, the, the, the battle between commerce and um, 
uh, art, you know, Bruce Sagan was an incredibly influential board member who helped mm -hmm. them get their space through kind of understanding how to work the system, and that's how they got their space down, you know, on the corner of uh, Halstead and North Avenue, yeah. you know, and now they're expanding that, and, yeah. you know, and they just uh, hired two new artistic directors who are taking over the company, yeah. um, so, you know, Martha Lavi passed away a few years ago, then... Uh, Anna, Anna, Anna Shapiro. Shapiro, thank you. Anna Shapiro took over, and now two younger ensemble members, uh, one female and an African-American man, are the new heads yeah. of the company. So I don't think they had any idea that that sure. was what was going to happen. Sure. Yeah. I mean, they started in a, what, a church or a high school and then a church basement. Did they know they would ever have the entire west side of Halstead, no, north of north, right. you know, 40 years later? And what they've done for that whole corridor yeah. in terms of businesses and yeah. you know it's it's hard to imagine they changed the face of Chicago theater yeah. I mean Chicago theater always had a great small theater tradition but when they came in and people heard their story or understood a little bit of their story and said wow we can start a theater and make it happen and that has been the story for so many theater companies that continue to exist in Chicago the book is great too because it, it kind of details the the stories of so many of the um, uh, amazing productions that came out of there. My first, uh, I didn't see Sinise Malkovich True West because I saw the Magic Theater production in San Francisco right. back when I was in college, but I did see Balm and Gilead in New York, which, which directed by John Malkovich, featuring the entire <laughs> crazy ensemble, and of what, 17-minute monologue by Laurie Metcalf in the middle of it, where somehow, I swear to God, Malkovich arranged it so it felt like, I was sitting in the way back of the theater, it felt like... I was zooming in like a camera on Laurie Metcalf in a slow zoom for that entire 15-minute monologue. It was amazing. I directed the show three or four years ago. It's something I always wanted to do, and I made no bones about it. I want to try to duplicate what my recollection of that show was. Yeah. Kevin Rigdon, another high school classmate who was the original designer for Steppenwolf and designed Ball and Gilead, gave us his off Broadway or you know yeah. design and that was what we worked the show in wow and it was all those recollections I remember I Gary this this may or may you may not be able to use this I'll, I'll try to be quick <laughs> but Gary came up to me in Steppenwolf shortly before Bob and Gilly said I, I've got a script here's the script why don't you look at it I think there might be something in it for you and I said I'll look at it and I was broke at the time. I was living here in Island Park, and, and I looked at the script, and I read the first seven pages. I said, I, I couldn't make heads or tails of it. I gave him the script back. I said, yeah, it's just not going to work for me right now, but thanks for thinking of me. That was Balm and Gilead. Wow. You know, so those moments in your life that d define it. So Balm, I, w I went on a Knowles trip, National Outdoor Leadership School, for a month. I came back. Balm and Gilead was running, and... Back then, I could go anytime I wanted, free, you know, just come on in. And I saw Bomb and Gilead ten times. It was, it's the greatest show I've ever seen. Yeah. And I, those images and the light cues and the sound cues, it was burned into my brain so that when I did it three years ago, I remembered what I had seen 40 years ago. Wow. I mean, it was that clear. So when you say, uh, you know, it was like you were looking at, yeah, it's because the lights narrow in on her yeah. so that your focus singularly goes there. That's it for this week's Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast. John Mayer's book, Steppenwolf Theatre Company of Chicago, in their own words, is available in both paperback and Kindle editions wherever you get your books. 
Then send us your favorite oral histories via email to feedback at reducedshakespeare.com. You can also find us and interact with other fans on our dedicated podcast page on Facebook at RSC Podcast, on Instagram at Reduced Shakespeare Company, or on my preferred platform on Twitter at Reduced. You can also follow John Mayer on Twitter and Instagram at Dr. Jam 7. You can follow me on Twitter too at Austin Titchener, on Instagram at the.shakespeareance, and I hope you'll check out my new website, the Shakespeareans. There you can find information on how I can help you with monologues, presentations, or writing projects. Check out theshakespeareans.com and my Patreon page, patreon.com slash Austin Titchener. Thanks as always to podcast data miner Matthew Croak, web services by Ginger Power Limited, music by John Weber and GarageBand. Our random fan shout out this week goes to Lori Pooler Palayo. No reason, it's just random. Special thanks to Mark Larson, author of Ensemble, an Oral History of Chicago Theater. And finally, thanks very much to you for listening. Please stay safe, get vaccinated, and keep your masks on. I'm Austin Tishner, 770 2310ths of the Reduced Shakespeare Company. My favorite story about Steppenwolf was the story in my book, Catherine Irby tells a story about Randy Arney directing her in um, Curse of the Starving Class. And he would say to them before the show, find the asshole, tear it open, and stick your head in it. <laughs> and, and I think that was the greatest summation of Steppenwolf. <laughs> this podcast is a production of the Reduce Shakespeare Company. Reducing expectations since 1981. Go to ReduceShakespeare.com for performance dates, actor bios, email newsletters, and so much less.